1: Now, before we get going, let me just say something that I have to say before we get into this chapter. What we are doing here with this podcast is, is just trying to provide a guide and a help so that you can get deeper into the text for yourself. We generally try to cover one chapter of the Bible in about 15 minutes. And that, of course, means that we just can't plumb the depths of a chapter like John chapter 3. This chapter deserves 52 45-minute sermons. You could preach for a year on this chapter without running out of material. So what in the world are we trying to do by going through it in 15 minutes? That's crazy, but that is what we're trying to do. And, and I just want to be clear about why. This is not a systematic treatment. This is an introduction. This is me walking with you through one of the most marvelous rooms in the Museum of the Bible. And You should come back here later and linger long before the many beauties contained herein. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Sometimes we forget that not all of the Pharisees were hostile towards Jesus. Many were. Most were. But not all. Nicodemus wasn't, and obviously there were others of his party who were seriously inquiring into the identity and authority of Jesus. Nicodemus says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Apparently, there were multiple Pharisees willing to give Jesus an honest hearing. But just as obviously, they were in the minority. That's why Nicodemus comes at night. He doesn't want anyone else to know. Jesus is a dangerous man. He threatens the foundations of Judaism. More than that, he threatens to overturn the whole world. Nicodemus sees that. He understands the danger, but he also understands that maybe the world needs to be overturned. Maybe we need a revolution. And maybe Jesus... Is just the man to lead it. Nicodemus doesn't know everything. We're about to find that out. But he knows that he needs to know more about Jesus. And that's a really good place to start. So he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Verse three, Jesus. Answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I'll tell you this. It would be hard to think of a more revolutionary statement in the ears of a first century Jew than that one. The Pharisees believed that all Jews, except for apostates, except for those who have denied the faith, all Jews would enter the kingdom of God. They espoused a sort of ethnic universalism. But Jesus here says that no one will see or enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That is an explosive statement. Imagine going into a Christian church filled with people who assumed they were going to heaven and saying, none of you are going to heaven unless you do this or that. You, if you did that, you'd get kicked out of that. You'd get tasered and then carried out of the church unless you could prove that you were Jesus. Who talks like that. Who says everything you thought about how to get into the kingdom of God is wrong? Who says that? Well, to state the obvious, Jesus said that. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus has absolutely no frame of reference for what Jesus has just said. He had no idea what Jesus meant when he talked about being born again. So Jesus explains it in verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So obviously being born again is equivalent to being born of water and the Spirit. But what does that mean? Well, it appears... To be a reference to the climactic promise of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a story about the downward progression of mankind. We are fallen and we are falling. Even the people of God in the Old Testament, even the Jewish people, are fallen and falling. The Old Testament reads like a downward spiral. Even with the gift of the law, even in the land, even with the temple, the people are going downhill. They are falling away from God and from their original design and dignity. When you get near the end of Second Kings or Second Chronicles, it reads like a spiritual horror story. Each king is stupider and wickeder than the last. Until finally the people of God are destroyed and defeated and scattered to the wind and their king is in shackles in a dungeon in Babylon. And you think, is this the end? Can these dry bones live again? Is there any hope? Is there a future? Will God intervene in this death spiral and rescue us and save us and restore us to the people we were meant to be? That is what the exilic prophets were always thinking about and talking about. And that is where you find some of the most marvelous promises in all the Bible. And Jesus here appears to be referring to one of those marvelous promises. It's found in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. Listen carefully to the words that are used. God says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you. promise in the old testament i will sprinkle clean water on you i will clean you up from all your sins and impurities and i will change your heart and i will put my spirit inside you he will be the voice behind you saying this is the path walk ye in it that's the promise and jesus here is saying that's what you need in order to enter the kingdom of god you need to be born again you need that sprinkling. You need that mercy. You need that cleansing. And you need a new heart and a new spirit. That's what it means to be born again. He goes on to say in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. and That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, you can't watch someone being born again, okay? This is not the hatchery from Brave New World. This is a Spirit thing. The Spirit's like the wind, and you can't see the wind, but you can observe its effects. You can see leaves blowing in the wind. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You don't see it happen, but you know it happened. Because when it happens, everything changes. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, did you catch that? Jesus doesn't claim to be just another prophet. The world is filled with prophets, but Jesus says something different here. He says, I am the only one who has been in heaven, and therefore I am the only one who knows truly, truly of what I speak. Moses told you what God told him. But Moses didn't ascend into heaven, and Moses never claimed to have ascended into heaven. I am something altogether different. I speak with an otherworldly authority. No one else ever said anything like that. Muhammad never claimed to have ascended into heaven or to have descended from heaven. Muhammad said he had a dream in a cave. His wife thought he was possessed by a demon. But one thing is clear. He never claimed to have seen what Jesus claims to have seen. He never claims to have been where Jesus claims to have been. Jesus is the unique word of God. When he speaks, everyone should listen. He goes on to say, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's a reference, of course, to the story in Numbers 21, 4-9. to You may remember that some snakes came into the camp. They were actually sent into the camp by God as punishment for grumbling and complaining. And the snakes bit the people and the people began to die. So the people came to Moses and they repented of their sin and they cried out for salvation. And God told Moses to put a bronze snake on a pole and to lift it up before the people. And anyone who looked on the snake in faith, asking for forgiveness and salvation, was immediately healed and saved. So Jesus here compares himself to that. He says, You have all been bitten by the snake, as it were, and you are dying. And God has sent me to offer salvation to you all. Look upon me in repentance and faith and you will be saved. Now, verse 16 is, of course, one of the most beloved verses in the Bible. However, there's a bit of confusion here. Were these words spoken by Jesus or are they John's explanation, the Apostle John's explanation of what Jesus has just said in verses 14 to 15. You see, they didn't use quotation marks back in the day, so we can't say for sure. But most scholars think that verses 16 to 21 represent John's comment upon Jesus teaching to Nicodemus culminating in verses 14 to 15, meaning verses 16 to 21 should not be in red letters in your Bible. Now, of course, they're still inspired, and they're still authoritative, and you should still love them. But now you can just love them while understanding them a little better. John is saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son to be lifted up on a pole for the salvation of the world, such that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, remember, this is a commentary on the story of the bronze serpent, or rather Jesus' use of the story of the bronze serpent to describe his own identity and mission. John is saying that Jesus is like the serpent on the pole. Whoever looks at Christ on the cross in repentance and faith will be saved. Whoever does not is condemned. In fact, he's condemned already. The people in the bronze serpent story were already dying, having already been bitten by the snake. That's you, John says. You are already dying. Jesus didn't come to kill you. You were already dying by the time he got here. No, Jesus came to offer you life. If you look at him and repent of your sins and put your faith in the salvation that God has offered, then you will be saved. If you look away, then you will just keep on dying. That's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus does. He divides humankind into those who are being saved and those who are dying. A snake and a pole is also the sword that divides the world. Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with him and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aenean near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You have to love John the Baptist. John believes in the sovereignty of God. A person is what God makes them and nothing more. That sounds like Ephesians 2.10, right? For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. John says, I am just the guy God made me, and I'm just trying to do the job I was assigned to do, and I am not trying to be anything else. Verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. John understands why Jesus is so special. John gets what Jesus told to Nicodemus. We don't actually know whether Nicodemus got it or not, but we see here John got it. Jesus is different. Jesus is above and over all because he came down from heaven. Who who are you going to listen to about the way to heaven? Muhammad? He's never been there. Buddha? He's never been there. Moses even? Moses saw in shadow, but Jesus is the substance. Jesus is the real deal. He is the one who came down from heaven. So don't go anywhere else. Just listen to Jesus. Verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. The snakes came from God, right? They were judgment upon ingratitude and sin. If you look to Jesus, John says, both Johns, actually John the Baptist and the Apostle John, then you will be saved. But if you don't, then you will keep on dying. Life or death decided at the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the deal. That is the gospel.